Brilliant. Great. Okay, welcome. Welcome back to the next part of our meeting. It's going to be very exciting. I hope you're as excited as I am. We're in the third part of our series on Spot the Difference. Spot the Difference. So um, I wonder if you can help me with this one. What's the difference between a holiday in Wales and an elephant that sat on a cactus? One, yeah, one maybe. Um, one pours with rain and the other roars with pain. So someone at work, I know, I know. Someone at work told me this week uh, that I had graduated into dad humor. Uh, nailed it, nailed it. And it was about two hours later that I realized they weren't being kind. Crushed my spirit, so what can you do? Um, spot the difference, we're looking at the, really we're focusing on the lives of the 12 disciples and thinking about what difference was it that happened in them? What was it that Jesus did in them to make them so different that they were able to go from being 12 people in a small corner of a small country in part of the Roman Empire to being able to influence the entire ancient world? A movement that spread, influenced that part of that, that part of the world, the world at that time, and really still influences modern society today. Twelve people from nowhere into that kind of movement. So what difference did Jesus make in their lives? As Steve put it a few weeks ago, what did he have to put in and what did he have to take out? And so we're going to look at the experiences of this group of disciples in Mark chapter 8. And especially, really, we're looking at Peter. Um, Peter's a great example for me in a number of ways. I just think, I think Peter's completely brilliant. I think he's brilliant because he's got so much potential and so much character and zest in life. And yet he makes some mistakes that, you know, we read them and we think, oh, there's hope for the rest of us. You know, we can learn from, from where he is and change our lives and really kind of make the best out of our own lives and situation and learn from all the things um, that we see in Peter's life. So I'm not putting Peter down, just want to make that clear, um, but I'm hoping that we can learn from his life. So let's read Mark chapter 8 together. Mark 8, chapter 8, uh, verses 27 through to 33. So Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, God's anointed king, God's chosen king. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, rejected by the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for everything that's written down about the experiences of the disciples and especially Peter in this 
in this experience. God, I pray that you'll help us draw great life from this passage. And God, I pray you'll help me communicate everything that's in me to say and everything that I feel you know you put in my heart to share this morning. God, I pray that we'll receive from this in such a way that we are different as a result, different in our everyday lives, different in our families, different in our workplaces, different in so many areas, God, different to make a difference for you in the world. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I want to see in this, and really that I see in this, is um, disciples learn to take it personally. Take it personally. That's the first thing that I see. So kind of imagine the scene Jesus and his team, they're off in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was a very beautiful part of the ancient world. There was a a natural spring water there. So it was almost like they'd gone for a day trip up to the coast or off for a a walk in the Lake District or to a spa day, if you're into that sort of thing. Not for me personally, although I have been to a spa. I'm a modern man. But if you're into that sort of thing, they're off on a, a spa day together. They're in the sort of away from the beaten track, away from their usual cities and away from the usual places where they might have been. And they're with Jesus in that time. And he starts the conversation going, hey, who, who, do, who do the people say I am? What do people make of what we're up to? Who do people say I am? And the disciples are happy to talk about it. Well, some people think, you know, maybe you're Elijah. Well, some people think, well, maybe you're John the Baptist. Well, some people think, you know, in general, you might be one of the prophets. And it's all very general, up in the air, airy-fairy, hypothetical, kind of, well, it might be this, it might be a bit of that, but no one's really kind of nailing their colors to the mast. And so Jesus cuts through the general and says, all right, well, what about you? Who do you say? that I am. I read this and I often wonder whether there was an awkward silence, whether, you know, did the disciples kind of, did they look at their sandals waiting for who was going to speak first? Or, or was there not a pause? Maybe Peter just jumped straight in. You're the Christ. You're the son of the, li- of the living God. You're God's chosen king. You're the king. You're, you're the Messiah. I, I don't know whether there was a pause or not, but it's Peter who steps up and says, me, I want this. I've got something to say about this. I've been thinking about it. It's in me. I've, re- I've figured it out. It's this, and th- I want to follow this Messiah. I want to follow God's King. It's Peter who wraps his arm around the truth of who Jesus is and say, yes, I've, this is what it is. And you know, there's a real insight for us there about what it is to be a disciple because the other guys in the team and the crowd, they're all very happy keeping it at this general kind of interesting concept over there, not quite connected to me, level. But it's Peter who says, I want to get my arms around this thing. This is not just true, but it's true for me. Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the King, you're the Son of the living God. There's a challenge with this. I wonder if uh, the guys who are on point to help me can help me with that thing that they're going to help me with. And while they're doing that and you're thinking about what it is, Karis, can I have my water? They're going to take a minute to, to bring something through. But when they do, you're, you're going to be shocked, <laughs> amazed, awed. Now, I know that I'm losing a lot of you right now. Because you're not thinking about Jesus and the disciples at this particular point in time. But as the guys carry on, I want you to understand that this is kind of how our society operates, is that people go, oh, oh, that's very interesting. Oh, 
These are, these are slightly damp because I cleaned them thoroughly. I want you to know that. Our society kind of gets hold of these things. They'll say, oh, it's very good that you go to church. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. You know, the disciples, they sort of go, oh, the, people think you might be a, a prophet or, or John the Baptist or Elisha, but it's very interesting. Or, you know, or you might be something like this and you might be something like that. Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. Oh, it's, you know, it's very interesting. Very good. Okay, bye now. Or, you know, oh, okay, so, oh, you believe that God answers prayer. Oh, that, oh that's very good. That's very interesting. Okay, bye now. You know, we live in a society. Oh, this is, oh, you can, right, okay. Oh, you think that everybody should get to know God and he can be their personal friend. And Oh, that's very interesting. Good, okay, good. We kind of live in this society where people are happy keeping truth at arm's length. And Peter sees it and he says, oh, that's very, you know, the disciples are going, oh, that's very good. It's very interesting. God's chosen king. Peter's like, God, <laughs> you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. I don't, I don't just want to look at this thing from a distance. I want to dive in. This isn't just true for, in general, this is true for me. This is also very relaxing. It's quite therapeutic. That's how it was with Peter. When you see a ball pool, you don't look at it from a distance and go, oh, that's very nice, that's very interesting, very good. You say, no, I want to be involved in that thing. And that's just not a problem in, in the world. I think we have this problem in church. How many times have you kind of come to a message in church and gone, Okay, right. Okay, so the, the, the preacher said God should be like a priority in my life. Oh, that's very good. Very interesting. But it's not for me personally. I don't know if you sort of heard Steve talking about the prayer meeting and you're like, oh, good. oh there's a prayer meeting at eight o'clock on Friday night at church. Oh, prayer. Do you know it's good that churches pray? That's very good. Very interesting. Personally, I'm going to the cinema. Like, there's a huge difference, isn't there, between seeing that something's true and good and interesting and saying, I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. I'm going to be there first, I'm going to leave last, I'm going to pray hardest because I want a personal breakthrough with personal prayer because prayer works for me personally. I've got a personal agenda in this city. I want God to change this city and it's not going to happen if I don't pray for my city. That's how a disciple is. A disciple isn't, you know, a disciple doesn't go, do you know it's good that it's passionate in worship? Isn't it good? Do you know it's good to go to a church where people are passionate in worship? Mm, That's very good. That's very interesting. Very nice. But it's not for me personally. I don't want to go to a church. No, I want to go to church. We're like, God, I'm passionate in worship. I love worship. God, you're so Maybe. Okay, I've got the sound guy's permission to preach it, so we're going to carry on. This is so good. I invited a couple of people down to pray with me in the building last night. They missed out. I had some practice rounds. It was hilarious. Loved it. Next time your silly group leader says, come and pray with me in the building, you should go because you just never know what you might get a first sight of. Okay, so I know. Okay, right. So that's the point. The disciples take it personally. We don't want to be those people who go, that's very nice, very interesting, good, but I leave it over there and it makes no difference in my life. The disciple is the one who plunges in head first, gets their arms around and says, this is for me. This word is for me. This message is for me. This gospel is for me. Following Jesus is for me. Being at my city group is for me. Being at the prayer meeting is for me. Inviting my friends is for me. Giving a tithe and an offering. That's for me. It's for me. It's personal. How many people are still with me? Okay. They take it. They learn to take it personally. I want to do something else with you this morning. Okay, so too many cooks. 
There's no point crying over. You should never judge a book by. You can't teach an old dog. Wrong! How many people are an old dog here this morning? Who woke up this morning and was like, hey, I want to be an old dog. I don't want to learn no more new tricks, never. No one woke up and said that. Nobody woke up and said, I want to be an old dog who never learns any new tricks. But disciples learn new tricks. Disciples learn new ways of living, new patterns of behavior, new ways of perceiving the world, new ways of doing things. Disciples don't settle. Disciples don't say, well, that's just me and that's who I am and I'm not going to change. Disciples learn new tricks. You see, the thing with Peter is he had a particular way of thinking. I love Peter, but he saw, he had this revelation, Jesus is the Christ. And you know, when the Jews at that time thought about the Christ, what they thought of was a warrior king who was going to come and defeat the Romans and beat them back and take out the foreign invaders and bring you know, military freedom in the land where they were living. And that was what Peter was thinking. So Peter had this revelation. He said, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're going to have golden armor. I'm, I'm kind of his number two, so maybe I'll have silver armor. Jesus, you're the Christ, so you're going to have this huge white war horse. I'm number two, so maybe I'll get like a medium-sized war horse. Maybe white, maybe not, not too fast. You know, Jesus, you're the God's chosen king. You're going to have this huge toolkit of weapons. It's going to be like a walking Swiss army knife. So I'm going to get at least a sword and an axe, maybe a shield. You know, he had this preconception about what Jesus was going to be like as God's chosen king. Even when it wasn't particularly helpful for him, that was the thought pattern that he was in. And so, Jesus, and so he has this thought pattern. So he says, wow, Jesus is going off piste on this one. He thinks he's going to be some kind of king who's rejected by the Jewish religious leaders. I better have a word with him and set him straight. So you know, he takes Jesus aside and says, hey, Jesus, I'm not sure you're on the right path on this one. And I don't really know what that conversation was like, but you kind of get the picture. And then Jesus turns around and he sees the other disciples and he speaks very sharply to Peter. No, you don't have in mind the concerns of God. You have in mind the concerns of human of human affairs, or um, the, the, the phrase that's in the Greek there is, is something to do with opinions, or how your mind patterns run, or what you carry in your head. It's what you have on your mind. So it's very direct. The way your thoughts operate, the pattern that your mind runs in, is not in line with the pattern in which Jesus was actually moving. And the challenge as human beings, when we receive the gospel, when we receive God's truth in our lives, when we understand who he's calling us to be, is that we realize we have thought patterns that maybe aren't that helpful to us. And sometimes we try and stick with them, even when it's not in our best interest to do so. Let me try and do something here as well. So what does this word spell? What does this word spell? What does my wife love to do? What do you do at a green light? Some of you should not be driving. Your brain's got in a pattern of thinking. You were rolling with it. Some of you were too nervous because you knew it was a trick, and that's okay. I don't judge you. You were on to me. We're like, okay, stop, pop, shop, stop. Oh, no way. Our brains get stuck in this pattern of thinking, and we need to extract, and we need God's help to do that. Peter needed it. Jesus was very direct with him. And so the question, the challenge that we have is how many of us change our minds often enough? When was the last time you really changed your mind about something? When was the last time you really changed your mind about yourself? 
When was the last time you really changed your mind about another person? When was the last time you really changed your mind about your value system, your priorities, what you think is valuable? When was the last time you changed your mind about what, what you're going for in life or where you're headed in life or what your agenda is in life? Off the back of something that God spoke to you. Whether you read something in the Bible and you thought, well, that is contrary to what I hold in my head, I am going to have to change. You heard a message in church and you thought, well, but that is not, that's different to what my opinion is on the world. And you step back and you think, okay, I'm going to have to change my opinion on this one. Human beings in the world at large are generally not good at changing our opinions. We had this guy, Damien Hughes. He's a professor of psychology at Manchester Metropolitan University. He came to speak to a bunch of us at work a few months ago. And he shared a, a study that's been done with how, uh, a wide-reaching study, how students make up their mind about teachers. And uh, they did the study after your opinion, your kind of a short survey about this teacher after 10 seconds, one minute, and one year. And the study that happened after 10 seconds was slightly different from the study after 10 minutes. But the study, the difference between 10 minutes and one year, there was almost no change about how this whole group of students perceived various different teachers. So apparently, either the conclusion of this study is that we are incredibly good at figuring people out within less than 10 minutes, and we never get it wrong, and we should never have to change our opinion about other people or situations or ourselves. Or we're incredibly bad at changing our opinion in those other 364 days and however many minutes and so on of other interactions with other people. What kind of dog do you want to be? Do you want to be an old dog who never changes their mind? Do you want to be an old dog who never learns new tricks? Or do you want to be a disciple? Because disciples learn new tricks. Disciples learn new patterns of thinking. Disciples learn new ways of seeing the world. Disciples learn new opinions, new values, new priorities. Every time you encounter something in the Word, every time you encounter something in a a message, every time you encounter something in city group, it's an opportunity to learn a new trick. Do I have any old dogs here this morning? (laughs) Some of you aren't sure. You're like, well, actually, I quite like being an old dog. I mean, come on. No. We want to be disciples. We want to learn God's way of perceiving the world and have our minds changed. The last thing I want to see, uh, the last thing I want to say is, is disciples learn to take it on the chin. Disciples learn to take it on the chin. You know, we, we, uh, when Jesus speaks to Peter in this way, he really doesn't pull any punches. Get behind me, Satan. You just don't. You're very direct, very sharp. I remember a few years ago, seven or eight years ago. Does anyone remember this lady? This is uh, Yasmina Siadatan. Yeah, okay, so some people will remember her. She won The Apprentice in, I think, 2008, 2009, that kind of um, period. And, and she, she was really good. And uh, so we were watching it. She did this whole, they did this task where they had to make perfume. They were making a brand new type of perfume. And she was in charge of ingredients. And, uh, and in the perfume factory, she got confused between sandalwood and cedarwood. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's such an easy mistake to make, and you've all done it yourselves in your kitchen from time to time. Sandalwood versus cedarwood. I mean, who wouldn't make that mistake, right? She made that mistake. One's incredibly expensive for perfume, and one's not that expensive. And as a result of the expensive stuff that she chose by accident, 
the costs soared through the roof for the stuff they were making. It ate into their profit margins, and they lost the task. They did the math and said, well, basically, if you, you, if you had used the right stuff, you'd have won. But because she chose the wrong stuff, they lost. And so she's hauled into the boardroom in front of Lord Sugar, Sir Alan, as he was then. And, uh, and he gives her an absolute roasting like, you know, the, the finger comes out, yeah? And he's, he's you're doing, you, you lost control of cost. You should have paid attention to the detail. It's, we're, I'm squirming at home watching it, right? Because I've seen some telling off at work and this was ferocious. Oh, so we're watching it and we're like, well, that's it. You know, she had good potential, but she's out of here. And then he suddenly just goes, right, I don't want to say anything else. Get back to the house. And she's out of there. And she must be feeling, how did I survive? What the heck happened? And I was watching him afterwards. I realized that was discipleship. That was how Sir Alan Sugar does discipleship. He doesn't exactly pull any punches either. It, you know, is he going to hire her or kill her? We, we just weren't sure how the conversation was going. He was so stern with her. But you know what? She never made that mistake again. She took his advice to to heart. They were on another challenge on catering, and she focused on costs. She squeezed the costs so hard you could hear them cry for mercy. And she came in the boardroom, and he was like, good job. Or whatever, you know, high phrase you get from from Alan Sugar. But a few tasks later, she did a great job. And he was so impressed that she listened to advice that he hired her. She became his apprentice. She's not working for uh, Lord Sugar anymore. She's working for another billionaire entrepreneur. She's working for James Kahn from Dragon's Den. So I, I don't know, when you get into those circles, I guess you just get to choose which billionaire you go and um, work for. But apparently she's still on very good terms with Lord Sugar. You know, Alan Sugar doesn't pull any punches because he knows people want to be with him because he knows he's got some wisdom to impart that will do them good in the long run. He gave her a hard time, but it certainly did her some good in the long run. Jesus gave Peter a hard time, but it did him some good in the long run. Next time Pastor Clive comes up to you and does an Alan Sugar (laughs) and the finger comes out, next time somebody's preaching and the finger comes out, you know, what kind of disciple are you going to be? Are you going to storm out of there in a huff? Don't you talk to me like that? How are you talking? You know, don't challenge me like that. Are you going to take it on the chin? I've been on the end of some Sir Alan Sugar moments from Pastor Clive. I'm hearing nervous laughter. I know some other people have. I've had my fair, more than my fair share of, uh, of, of Pastor Clive, you know, the finger. But hey, do you know what? It's been good for me in the long run. I absolutely sign up for that. So it's your choice. Do you want to receive it? Do you want to take it on the chin? Because that's what Peter did. That's what disciples do. I want to finish. I don't have too much more to say. So this is kind of our opportunity to respond. So if you can receive what I've shared with you this morning, I want you to stand up. And I want you to imagine, as I, as I know you're desperate to do, that you're reaching out for one of those balls from the ball pool. Some truth that God's sharing with you at the moment, something he's challenging you on in life, maybe something from this morning. But I want you to reach out and say, hey, this is for me. So I want you to reach out and grab it and start saying, hey, this is for me. This isn't just true. This is true for me. I'm getting hold of this thing. It's going to come into my life. It's going to make a difference in my life. You're not allowed to take the balls home with you. But you're reaching out and you're saying, okay, this truth is for me. I'm going to get hold of this thing. I'm going to make this personal.
just where you are right now as well, if you recognize that there's areas of your thinking, of your opinions, of the way you see the world, of the way that you see other people, of the way that you see yourself, if you recognize there's areas of your thought patterns that are not in line with God's, that are not in line with His Word and what He says about things, then now's your opportunity to reflect on that. Just where you are, say, God, I'm sorry for letting my thoughts run away with me. I'm sorry for holding on to my ideas and thinking they're better than your ideas. God, I'm sorry for thinking my opinions are more important than your opinions. Just take a moment to reflect on that. You know, right where you are, I want you to take a moment to commit to being someone who is going to be changed. Commit to being someone whose mind is just open to whatever God wants to speak into it through his word, through messages, through your city group leader, through your wife, hallelujah. Whatever it might be, just commit to being that person who's gonna receive God's words, God's opinions, God's thinking for your life. And I want to pray to finish. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for Peter. Thank you, such an awesome figure of somebody who received just all the input that you had for him and was so changed. He became so different that he made such a massive difference in the world. And Father, I pray that as we take your words to heart, as we take this experience of Peter's, as we take this passage to heart, that it'll make all the difference in our lives. We'll be those people who become different and we'll become those people who can make a difference in our city, in our nation. Amen.